We do celebrate that we are alive through the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have come to worship King Jesus today and learn more about Him through His Word. So if you will turn to Genesis chapter 21. Uh, We're going to finish chapter 21 this Lord's Day in our study. Uh, If you're new to Bloomfield, we've been walking through Genesis since earlier this year. Uh, We have been learning about what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. And we've seen that principally through the life of Abraham in recent months as we've been learning how God called him back in Genesis chapter 12, how really his walk of faith has been kind of an up and down experience as he has struggled in his faith at times. That's helped us to identify the struggles we have in our faith. But ultimately, God is the one who is faithful to Abraham. And God is the one who is faithful to us. And as He is faithful to us and as we walk with Him, He uses us for His glory and for His purposes to be a witness to a lost and dying world. And we see an example of that in our text today. So, if you would, look there at Genesis chapter 21. And we are going to read verses 22 through 34 this Lord's Day. We're going to pray for our time in God's Word, and then we're going to look to see what God would teach us from this Word. So if you would, follow along with me as we read this, the inspired Word of God, beginning in verse 22. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved then Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know Who has done this thing? You did not tell me, and I have not heard heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech. And the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me. That I dug this well, therefore that place was called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. If you would pray with me for our time in God's word this Lord's day. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, celebrating that we have life. That we have been made alive through the gospel. We were once dead in our trespasses in sin, but you have made us alive through Christ. Your Spirit has awakened us to see these words and to get life from them. And so, Father, we pray that Your Spirit would work among us today, Lord, to to keep us alert, to help us to learn, to, to help us to see the Gospel in this passage, this treaty with Abimelech and Abraham. 
Father, that here as these two men make a covenant, that we would better understand the covenant relationship we have with you through Jesus. We pray for this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this, uh, for some of you, is an exciting time of year because this is college football season. For others of you, you could care less, and so this illustration will not be very beneficial to you. But for those of us who get excited about it, I had the opportunity yesterday, a friend in church gave Parker and I a couple of tickets, and we had a chance to go to the Louisville game. And so this was the first uh, college game we had been to in a little while, and so we were sitting there, and as I was sitting there, uh, we got there a little bit early, and we were watching uh, the team's practice and everybody get ready. I, I couldn't help but notice all the, the messages coming at us as that game was about to start. There was the, 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 the big scoreboard, which now if you see a scoreboard, the, the score is just a really little part of the scoreboard. There's this huge screen, and, and the whole time it's just communicating messages to you there's advertisements on there there's you know text this number and receive a a coupon and and then you look above the scoreboard and there's there's a plane in the sky and behind that plane it's pulling a message another message to communicate to you and as if that's not enough messages then you have the the blaring speakers and the music and the announcer who at times is giving you more and more messages it can become so distracting that you really have to be intentional about actually watching the football game that you've come to watch because there's all these messages coming at you. I couldn't help but think as I sat there and I saw tens of thousands of people and I saw these messages coming out to them thinking, Lord, how is it that, that you might communicate a message to these people? If you ever wonder what preachers think about at football games, this is where we go. And how can we communicate to people? And I thought, you know, the Lord could easily communicate the gospel over this billboard. The Lord could easily communicate the gospel in the sky. He, he wouldn't need a plane or a banner. He could write it in the clouds. He wouldn't even need the speakers for His voice from heaven could overwhelm that crowd. God could do all kinds of things to communicate a message to those people. And yet the means He has chosen to communicate His message are you and me. You think about that for a moment. I mean, God could communicate in His own way with every living person today through any means He chose. And the means He has chosen, the means He has called us to is us, you and I. Men and women and children, we are the means through which God communicates His message. And as you consider that, that's a very humbling thing. Because He doesn't just use those of us who feel that we are worthy of being used. He uses those of us who struggle. Those of us who have failed Him. We see an example of that in the text today. As you see Abraham as a witness of the one true everlasting God to Abimelech, a, a pagan ruler. We know that Abraham has struggled in his faith. We know that this comes off of yet another test of faith where you have Abraham in this tense moment with his wife where she seems to be the more faithful one saying we need to remove Ishmael from this home because Isaac is the child of promise. And as I shared last week, I think that's a, a crisis of faith for Abraham because for him, 
Ishmael was plan B. Ishmael was a backup plan. In fact, he wanted Ishmael to be plan A at times. But God is removing from him all things that might distract him from the walk of faith and the the promise he's called him to. And we see Abraham struggle. We've seen him struggle over and over again. And yet he is the means through which God will proclaim his glory to a lost people. And friends, we are the means through which God proclaims His glory to a lost people. And so as we look at this passage today, I want us to look at it in the context of God using us as His witnesses to others. And how we see God using Abraham as a witness here to Abimelech and to others in hopes that we can better see how God uses those of us who struggle and those of us who have failed, even us, for the glory of His name. We'll begin by looking at point one there in your notes, which is simply this. Our walk of faith is a witness to others. As we walk in faith with God, this is a witness to other people. We see this here with Abraham. Now, Abimelech is a familiar name because it's just a couple of chapters ago that we saw Abraham's dealings with Abimelech. If you remember that passage, essentially, you have Abraham struggling with something he had struggled with when he was first called to leave the land of his fathers. And he struggled with this then with Pharaoh. And the struggle was this. Abraham feared that whenever he entered into a new land, that the ruler of that land would kill him to marry Sarah, or to take Sarah into their home, uh, into their harem, whatever the case might have been. And so Abraham made an arrangement with Sarah, even back in Genesis chapter 12. Whenever we come to a land where this might be a threat, I want you to tell them you're my sister. And only my sister, not my wife, in order that it may go well with me. And so this happens back in Genesis 12, and then a couple of decades go by, and then Abraham struggles with this same sin and same temptation with Abimelech in Genesis chapter 20. If you remember that passage, Abimelech's response to him comes because the Lord comes to Abimelech. And the Lord tells Abimelech, listen, this thing you did that you didn't realize was a sin, I'm going to take your life unless you repent from it. And we talked about how sometimes we we excuse ourselves and say, well, I didn't know what I was doing was wrong. And yet we see God very much is still saying, well, it doesn't matter if you knew or not, Abimelech. Your life is mine unless you turn from this wicked thing. And so Abimelech does that. We also saw in that passage that God had brought a curse to Abimelech's house over him and all the servants of his house where all of the women were unable to get pregnant. God had closed up their wombs because of this this evil thing Abimelech was a part of by bringing Sarah into his home. And so once he repents and relents and returns Sarah to Abraham, Abraham actually gives Abimelech a blessing. And so you've got this picture here of really a faithless Abraham and a pagan king. And at the end of it, the pagan king obeys God better than the the, the prophet of God. And then this faithless prophet blesses this pagan king. That's the last picture that we had with Abimelech and Abraham. We know now that a few years have passed because Genesis 21 verse 22 comes on the heels of Isaac's festival where he's been weaned. 
which this would have been when he was a few years old. And so during these years, something has happened. Abimelech has seen something about Abraham. Abimelech has witnessed something about Abraham. And what I believe it is he's seen is his walk of faith. But in that, I don't think that Abimelech is taking note of how faithful Abraham is. Abimelech is taking note of how faithful Abraham's God is. And that's an encouraging word to us as we seek to witness today. Because you and I tend to think that our ability to witness to others really hinges on how perfectly we master this whole walk of faith. And so if I'm really strong in my faith, and people can see that in my life, then I can tell them about God. Then I can tell them about the Gospel. And so then when we struggle in our faith, when we fail in our faith, we say, well, who am I to tell them because I'm struggling here and I, I can't talk to them about my faith when I struggle so bad in my faith. And then we just kind of shut down and we don't witness at all. And yet I, I think our mindset's all wrong if we think our witness to others completely hinges on our ability to perfect the Christian life because, friends, none of us can perfect the Christian life and that's why there is a Christian life. Because there's one perfect one who's gone before us and His name is Christ Jesus. And as we walk in faith with Him, our call as a witness isn't to put our faith on display. It's to put the one in whom we have faith in on display. It's not to stand up and say, look at me in my faith. It's to stand up and say, look at the one in whom I have faith. There's a difference between those two things. But sometimes I feel it's, it's our story that we're more interested in telling than it is His story. See, my goal as a preacher is for you and I to learn more about God's story. Now, I could very easily just get up here and tell you my stories and tell you about my life and tell you about my experiences, but I've only had so many of those. And those are going to run out. And those aren't the goal of preaching God's Word. See, if I get out of this pulpit and you've gotten to know me better, but you haven't gotten to know the Lord better, then I've failed. My responsibility is to teach you more about God. Our responsibility in witnessing is to teach people more about who the God, the Creator God is, and how they might have a right relationship with Him. And we see here in this text, Abimelech is not drawn to Abraham's faithfulness. He's drawn to God's faithfulness. He looks to Abraham in this passage and he says it is very clear that God has dealt well with you, that God is with you in all that you do. He doesn't look to Abraham and say, Abraham, it is clear your faith is so strong. Are we called to have a strong faith? Absolutely. But here we're reminded that the primary message we're to communicate is not about us, it's about God. And here we see it is the faithfulness of God to Abraham that stands out to this pagan king. And what we see in our life is when we present a picture of the faithfulness of God to us, that gets the attention of a lost world. Some of you may have seen just this last week an interview that was on CNN with Rick and Kay Warren. Rick Warren, you probably know his name. He's a pastor of a rather large church out on the West Coast. And you may know that about five months ago, 
that Rick and Kay's son, who had struggled for a lifetime with mental illness, took his own life. And it made national news, and really since that point, uh, the Warrens have not been very public in talking about this, but they did an interview this last week on CNN with Pierce Morgan about their experiences and about their son's death, and I was able to watch part of it. And, And what struck me from it is, they didn't communicate so much about how strong their faith was. They communicated about the one in whom they had faith. They communicated about how even in the midst of great tragedy and loss, God is still good. They communicated about the the fallenness of man and the need for Christ as our Redeemer. And what caught my attention as much as anything, was Pierce Morgan, who I've never seen himself to profess the Christian faith at all, he made a comment later that this was the most inspiring interview that he'd ever done. When we present to the world who God truly is and how faithful He truly is, even in the midst of our loss, the world takes note. That doesn't mean that everybody repents and becomes a Christian, but God uses the faithfulness He shows even through our tragedy to help people understand better who He is. And that is what our walk of faith is to be. And continual walk in which we put the focus on Him and not on us. We bring glory to Him and not to ourselves. And as we do this, we are a witness. I'm encouraged as well when I look at this passage and reminded that Past failures don't destine us to future failures. That just because we failed in the past, it doesn't mean God can't use us as His witness. We have seen Abraham struggle. We have seen him fail. And yet time and time again, we have seen God use him for His glory. And that is an encouragement to those of us who feel we have failed time and time again. That God is still at work and God will still use us for His witness. Point two, we... We witness to others when we are peacemakers. As we walk in faith, we are a witness. And we also see very specifically in this passage, we're a witness to others when we are peacemakers. Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now we can read that passage and we can slap it on a UN envoy and we can kind of use it out of context is this, blessed are those who just dispel all wars and who bring peace in war. But the context in what Jesus is speaking here, He's talking about a different kind of peace. See, we can live in a world with no war and still have millions of people with no peace. What He's speaking of is peace between us and God and peace that is brought then by the Gospel of Christ. And I think we see a picture pointed towards that And this whole situation with Abimelech. So Abimelech comes to Abraham and says, essentially, listen Abraham, I want to be at peace with you. I want you to be at peace with me. Remember again, it's not about Abraham's faith. He even says something to Abraham about, listen, don't lie to me this time. (laughs) Be honest with me this time. And Abraham says, "I I swear. But they still don't have peace. Because there's a conflict that has to be dealt with. Abraham brings to Abimelech's attention this conflict. It's about a well of water. A well that Abraham has dug and Abraham feels is rightfully his that Abimelech's servants have come along at some point and seized and taken from Abraham's men. And so here's the context. Abimelech wants to have peace with Abraham. Abraham wants to have peace with Abimelech. But in order for them to have peace, they have to deal with this conflict first. 
See, oftentimes, we see the need for peace, but we are unwilling to deal with conflict to get there. And so we have kind of a false peace or a pseudo-peace. Essentially, what we have is passivity. We are passive in our relationships with others because we don't want to offend and we don't want to hurt feelings and we don't want to push people away. And what we end up doing is never having real lasting peace with Him because we're unwilling to deal with conflict. What we have Abraham do here is make true peace with Abimelech. In order to make that true peace, they've got to deal with this conflict. They've got to deal with this issue of this well. And so Abraham brings this to Abimelech's attention. And then Abraham is the one then who brings forth the resolution. Abraham essentially says, okay, I'm going to bless you, you're going to bless me. I'm going to dwell in this land, you're, you're blessing me with that, so I'm going to bless you with something. And he gives him these oxen and, and these sheep. But then he sets aside these seven ooh lambs, and Abimelech looks at that and doesn't understand it. He says, well, well, what are those lambs for? And Abraham points out, this is about the well. We've got to settle this issue with the well. Now, now, notice the chain of events here. It's Abraham's well that Abimelech has taken. So Abimelech is the offender. And so you would think it would be Abimelech then who would say, Oh, I didn't know. Here, let me give you something, Abraham. But that's not what happens. Abraham essentially says, The well is mine, so you need to return it to me. And Abraham, whose well it was to begin with, pays Abimelech for it. Abimelech is the offender against Abraham, and yet it is Abraham who pays the cost for the offense. Friends, this is a picture for us of the gospel. We have offended God in our sin. The scripture says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. We stand before a holy God indebted to Him because of our sin. We are the offender. We should pay the price. And yet, what does the gospel show us? God pays the price of our debt through His Son, Jesus Christ. Not seven ooh lambs, but one sacrificial lamb who goes to the cross for us. There is conflict between us and God because of our sin. God does not passively look at our conflict and say, well, because I love you so much, you're forgiven. No, God initiates dealing with the conflict by making sure it's reconciled so that we can be in a right relationship with Him. And then He calls us to make peace in the same way. And so we make peace by dealing with conflict so that there might be resolution because that's what the Gospel teaches us. And when we try to make pseudo-peace by ignoring conflict and being passive, that is anti-Gospel. That's not what the Gospel preaches. Now, now let me make a note here. On one end, we shouldn't be passive. On the other end, we can't be so aggressive about dealing with conflict that we're like a bull in a china shop. That's anti-Gospel as well. So some of you might be thinking, well, Pastor, I'm not passive at all. In fact, I'd love to know about a conflict so I can deal with it right now. And you just run over people. Well, that's not the Gospel. The Gospel is speaking the truth in love. The Gospel is God showing us grace and mercy that we might have right peace with Him. The Gospel is, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. But we can't have true, lasting peace 
unless we deal with conflict. And there are so many applications to that. There's the application of you looking at your life and considering, have you offended someone you need to go back and deal with? Has someone offended you and you just kind of passively ignored it and you need to go back and deal with that because God has dealt with us. God has made peace with us. And one of the greatest witnesses we can have to a lost and dying world is to say, I need to come seek forgiveness from you for this offense I've done against you because God has forgiven me of a greater offense. And because He's forgiven me, He's called me to go out and forgive others and go out to seek forgiveness of others. See, when we resolve conflict in that way, we are a witness to others about the Gospel of Jesus Christ. We see a picture of that, I believe, here in this text, this Lord's Day. As Abraham is a peacemaker, Abraham who struggled so much in his faith, sees the need to deal with this issue in order to have lasting peace with Abimelech. And because they deal with this, he has lasting peace. In fact, at the end of the chapter, we're reminded that he sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. In fact, Beersheba, a place that we will come to identify with Abraham, that that name is rooted in the well of oath. The place where this oath was made over in a well. A place where this conflict was settled a place where lasting peace was given as a symbol, as an example, as a picture of an even greater peace that Abraham, who we refer to as a friend of God, who is made righteous by God, the peace he has with him. We have peace with God and we are called to then have peace with others and that is a witness. Point three, we witness to others when we worship God we witness to others when we worship God. This passage concludes by Phicol, the commander of the army of Abimelech, and Abimelech himself leaving and returning to their land. And then in verse 33 and 34, we have this picture of Abraham worshiping God. It says he planted a tamarisk tree. A tamarisk tree was pretty common in this area because it was a tree that grew to about 30 feet and it had very soft branches and leaves. And so it, it did a number of things. One, it provided shade. It provided kind of shelter. It provided provision. This is what animals could eat these limbs and these leaves off this tree because they were soft. And Abraham plants this tamarisk tree as a, a monument to God. God who is the true shelter. God who is the true provider. God who had provided for Abraham time and time again. In fact, he calls on the name of the Lord as the Lord, the everlasting God. Abraham planted that tree knowing that tree is not going to last forever, but it's to represent a God who is. A God who always has been. A God who always will be. A God who in His great providence and plan has called out Abraham from the land of his people and made him righteous and put him in faith with him and called him to live for his glory. Abraham is long dead today and that tree is probably long gone. But this everlasting God is still calling normal people to be a part of his plan to use for his purposes. 
And that's what He's doing with us this Lord's Day. He's calling us out of a life of sin to walk in a life of faith. That's what repentance is. It's simply moving from sinful living to obedient living. Realizing that there's only one who's ever been perfectly obedient, and that's Christ Jesus. And that's why we walk in faith with Him, because He has covered us in that righteousness. And as we walk in faith with Him, we are walking today with the same God that Abraham was walking with then. Why? Because He's the everlasting God. And He's the God who is not done, who will one day return for His people, and He will establish a new heaven and a new earth, and we will dwell with Him forever because He's the everlasting God. And we are reminded in this text today of our overwhelming joy that we have Because this God has made peace with us. And we're reminded that we in turn need to then go out and make peace with others. For some, that's going and dealing with a conflict. For others, that's making peace with others through the gospel. And helping them to see God has made peace with us. You can have peace with Him as well. And we can walk in faith together. And that is what it means to be a witness for God in the name of Christ. If you would pray with me that God would so empower us to be that kind of witness in our community and in our world. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, I do pray that you would empower us through your spirit to be your witnesses. Here in Bloomfield, throughout Nelson County, throughout the Commonwealth of Kentucky, throughout the United States of America, to the ends of the earth in Poland, in Malaysia, in other places, Lord, that you will take us. Lord, would you use us as your witnesses? Would you help us to point the focus on you and not on ourselves, that God, they might see your faithfulness to your people? Would you help us, Lord, to make peace with others, understanding that true peace can only come when we deal with conflict? And Lord, you have shown us that by dealing with the conflict of sin in our life through the Gospel. And Lord, in response, would You help us to worship You? We have a picture here of Abraham worshiping. And Lord, our worship is a witness to others. Not just as we gather today, but Lord, as we leave this place, help us to sing praises to Your name every day that that might be a witness. And Lord, as we are a witness, would You draw people to faith through Jesus Christ? Lord, if there's any here today who's yet to respond to the gospel in faith and repentance. Lord, would you draw them to that today? Call them to repentance. Lord, for those who have, would you strengthen them this Lord's day to walk in faith? We pray for this in Christ's name. Amen.